0: And Abby is spelled A-B-B-I-E for you guys who are just reading with speech.
1: Would someone else
0: like to introduce themselves and talk about where
1: they are in their writing process now? Good evening. Uh, I'm Ann Parsons, and I am uh, the author of The Demis, and it has nothing to do with politics at all, and uh, it's a science fiction and you can get all the information from uh, www.dldbooks.com slash Ann Parsons and um, I am a, a braille teacher I teach adaptive technology part-time and uh, I'm a, an avid reader so that's me. Okay, and someone else. Hi,
2: um, this is Annie Cipetta, um from New Rochelle, New York. I'm a fifty-something <laughs> um, poet and writer. Um, I pr- published my my first collection of poetry in 2016 from DLD Books. I published um, my um, my nonfiction memoir called "Follow Your Dog: A Story of Love and Trust" in 2017. Um, And I'm planning um, a second poetry collection in 2019. Um, I'm, you know, I'm just glad to be here. And it seems like I'm in good company. And uh, that's really all I have to say right now. Thanks.
0: Oh, it's so cool to meet all you. Okay, we've got a few more people.
3: If people are new to this, you might want to remind them they have to press the control key in order to talk.
0: Oh, right. You know I've listened to so many of the recordings, and Bob is so much better at this than I am. Yes, you have to hold down the control, you hear kerchunk, it's like a walkie talkie, and when you lift up the control, you stop it you're you're not on the air anymore.
1: One thing you might want to stress, Debbie, is that it doesn't matter where you are on the writing process. If you're just starting out, if you've been writing a long, long time and you've had several books published or whatever, we just want to hear from you and um, we want to get to know you and so forth. Hey, you said it better
0: than I could. Uh, Clearly, I'm not as good at this as you. I know you moderate the mystery discussion, so uh, feel free to keep chiming in if I don't seem to know what to do. We want people to feel welcome. Just because there's people in our group who chit-chat a lot and are very extroverted, please don't feel like your contributions are not equally
1: welcome.
4: Okay, this is Deborah Kendrick, and I actually was waiting because I saw other names on the list, but maybe people are still feeling um, bashful, so I'll go ahead. Uh, I am in sort of a different category, I suspect, from most people here. I have been very blessed in that I have made my living as a professional writer. Um, In the early days, I wrote poetry, and I had a fair measure of success with that. Uh, My poetry was... um, published in a number of magazines, collected in a few anthologies. Uh, I won some Arts Council stuff. Um, but you can't make a living writing poetry that I'm aware of, unless maybe you're Billy Collins. So um, I had to find other ways. I had children to feed. Um, so I, I've i been very fortunate. I, I, had a, uh, I did a magazine on technology which some of you might be old enough to remember called tactic which uh, was published for fifteen years and morphed into access world which is published by the american foundation for the blind uh... i'm as i'm not editor of that magazine I'm, I'm they call me senior features editor but i'm really just a contributing writer um, and then i launched a newspaper column on disability rights that ran for thirty years in a number of papers uh, and i stopped doing that just about a year and a half ago and no particular reason some of it was medical but most of it was it just felt like it was time to do something else i've published um, four books with afb press it's a long time ago about fifteen years ago i guess uh, Three of them are on Bookshare, no thanks to me. Somebody put them there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, and I've written a, w- a wide number of other things. I've written for a number of um, mainstream magazines, uh, contributed to a large number of textbooks and all sorts of things. But about four years ago, I started working for the National Library Service for the Blind, doing tech support, which is... A, a different, And I, I love it. And um, so I'm doing that part time. I'm still writing for a handful of publications. And I've had a lot of time on my hands um, recently because of some medical interruptions. So I have thought it was time to get back to the creative side of writing. And uh, write some stuff that I always wanted to write and didn't have time to write because I had so many deadlines to meet. So that's where I am, and um, I'm happy to I've been reading the things that many of you have been posting to the list, and um it's very very nice, it's very nice to share so.
0: Thank you, Deborah. One of the things I really like about your writing is the way you're able to use a few words to say a lot, and I think many of us can learn from observing writing that is shorter and says a great deal in a small space. I believe we have two people we haven't heard from. I'll give them a chance, but they may be having mic trouble or something, so we'll wait just a second, then I'll get going on my story.
5: Hello, everyone. It's good to see everybody here. I know many of you from various places. It's good, Debbie, to put the voice with all those letters to the editor in Access World, and uh, Deborah as well, who does all those articles. I will say briefly that I have... I think I started writing in about 2001. I wrote an essay for a library anthology. Unfortunately, 9-11 happened just prior to this book's coming out and being published. So if it was going to get any attention, it just didn't. The uh, rework of that was turned into a speech given at the American Library Association Convention in 2002, and it was also used in the publication of the Association for Specialized and Cooperative Library Agencies, I was doing a sort of advocacy back then. Let's move ahead a few years. I've been a book, an audiobook reviewer for a Library journals since 2006, and I think I'm on review number 85. Last year, my book across to Novembers a year in the Life of a Blind Bibliophile came out, and I'm in the process of abridging it and trying to get it turned into an audiobook in hopes that I can finally make money writing I hope to use this to help launch a podcast and maybe use um, some of this podcast to maybe develop a website.
6: Oh, sorry. Didn't have my microphone out. In David, what is your last name?
5: Foshé. I can spell it in the edit box if you'd like.
0: Well, it looks like I'm back. I got kicked off, but I'm back. Uh, So let me just find my place here. Okay, now I've locked my microphone, and I'm going to go ahead and read my story. I'm sorry I somehow lost my Internet connection, but it's back, and it's happy, so that's all that matters. This should take us about seven minutes. Edge of space. Neil Armstrong was descending the ladder. Whoops. It says mix available again. Let's try it again. I love technology.
3: Debbie, we could actually hear you when you said the mic was was available. So, I don't know. It must be something on your end.
0: Okay. My key came unlocked. I'm not sure why. I don't like these USB keyboards, I guess. Okay. I think we're alive now. Edge of space. Neil Armstrong was descending the ladder about to make that first small step for man when Karen first got the idea. It was Lily's 12th birthday party that summer at Lucy's house, but because they all lived on the same street, Lisa, Laura, Lena, Linda, and Lois were invited. And because Karen's mom worked with Linda's mom, she'd been invited too, though she wasn't part of their clique. The other girls were inside Lucy's bedroom with Donnie Osmond and Michael Jackson, or at least with their pictures in Tiger Beat, screams and giggles escaping out the screen door into the stifling July afternoon. Karen was holed up across the driveway in Mr. Johnson's cool garage with its rows of hoses, shovels, and rakes. Mr. Johnson was Lucy's daddy. And with the party over, all the moms out shopping, he was the only adult on the premises. Glued to his cracked black and white portable, balanced precariously on a workbench piled with wrenches and screwdrivers, Mr. Johnson had just finished sweetening the orange juice with his third shot of vodka and launched into a fascinating tale about the space program. And, of course, there was also Gus Grissom, Mr. Johnson was saying, burned up in that terrible 1966 in that terrible fire it was a pure oxygen environment you know why karen asked intrigued would they need oxygen when the apollo was still in testing on the ground wrapped karen absorbed mr johnson's explanation as he went on to discuss the disappointment of venus how the sci-fi authors had envisioned civilizations of great beasts roaming swampy planets, only how, in 1964, a probe had discovered its dry surface temperature was hot enough to melt lead when she was all grown up, Karen thought. She would become the first girl astronaut. They'd interview her on Donahue. She'd experiment growing crops in space, and humanity would be able to colonize Mars because of her hydroponics discoveries. But first, as she sipped unadulterated orange juice, she knew she had to get through junior high and senior high and earn a degree in astronomy, somehow find a boyfriend, and ditch Barbie... Barbie was for little girls, and the others at the party had already stuffed their Barbies to the back of their closets. All the rest of the plan sounded impossibly hard, but Barbie, now that was something Karen could do right now today. Once the Apollo 11 coverage ended, after Mr. Johnson fell silent, tilted back in a discarded recliner, Karen slipped out to the abandoned picnic tables and collected every helium balloon. "'The other girls were still inside watching dark shadows "'whispering about their crush on Quentin Collins. "'Boys,' Karen scoffed to herself, "'they're all so stupid, "'and my supposed friends don't have real boyfriends anyway, "'just telling dumb, pretend stories about stars "'and screaming at concerts.' "'Sorry, I had to turn the page.' Swiftly, Karen liberated the wicker basket brought by the caterers from the trash. After giving it a good scrub with palm olive, she took the daring step of snatching a flowery pillowcase from Lucy's mom's overstuffed linen closet. On the TV, she could hear Quentin professing his love for someone while the girls squealed, and Karen wondered if she'd ever have to act like that one day to get any boy to profess his love. Slipping Barbie out of her bag and carefully straightening Barbie's party dress, Karen laid her tenderly within the pillowcase in the basket. The spooky tune from Quentin's TV music box rose in volume, and her eyes missing, Karen was overcome... With loneliness. This was the last time she'd ever play house. She had her books and her little flower garden and her junior botany badge and camp to look forward to, but these girls weren't her friends, and now Barbie would be gone forever, too. Then emerging with an empty bottle from the garage, here came Mr. Johnson staggering and blinking in the sunlight, but jovial as always, one of the adults a kid could trust. He placed a shaky hand on her shoulder, admiring the way she'd used a hair bow to secure the basket to the lawn chair and tied every balloon to its handle. Little gal knows a proper sheet bend, he muttered, earning Karen's shy smile. "Uh, You might want to give Barbie a seatbelt, he suggested. It's a long way to the moon. Karen looked Karen hesit, uh, hesitated to steal anything more right in front of Lucy's daddy. Mr. Johnson peeled off a reeking sweat-stained stain, sweat tie. Karen wanted to wash it, but decided it would be impolite. After all, no air, with no air in space, people probably couldn't smell things anyway. She wound it around Barbie and the sides of the basket, tying with a perfect square knot. "'Shall I start the countdown?' Mr. Johnson asked." Karen nodded, and he began, T-minus-nine, T-minus-five, squinting, bleary-eyed at the watch on his wrist. When the countdown reached zero, Mr. Johnson hollered, ''Blast off!'' Karen swung her Girl Scout pocket knife forward, slashing through the hair ribbon, and Barbie lifted slowly toward the sky, disappearing behind the spire of St. Peter's. Mr. Johnson cheered, then stumbled back to his recliner and TV. It was Karen's first step for womankind. All right, let me get my key unlocked and we can all chat. Okay, we're unlocked. Um,
6: I hope I came through and if anyone has comments, go ahead. I think it's really good and I could connect with Karen almost immediately because I remember being at slumber parties and ending up hanging out with an adult somewhere instead. I never had much in common with teenagers at that age and or tweens which they probably are and I can remember always being interested in something more adult than what was going on around me and I thought the story flowed very well
4: this is Deborah I like the story very much um it 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 hangs together very well, and it is concise, which is nice in a short story. There was just one tiny anomaly that bugged me when I read it, and it bugged me more when I heard you read it. And that is, this dad is hanging out in the garage on a Saturday afternoon, and it's hot out, and he's drinking. He's not going to be wearing a necktie. So the sweat-stained tie, it just doesn't work. I just really it just sort of leapt out at me and I wondered if you could come up with something else, you know, his belt from his jeans or or ripping a, a, a sheet of cloth from his T shirt or something, but a sweat stained tie it just doesn't it doesn't work.
6: I think it does. Um they just had a party, it sounded like a well to do family and they would have been dressed up for party, and he slipped away from the party and didn't change his clothes.
1: Well, I, I'm of two minds about this. I, I understand why she put it in. I'm not sure she needs it, but I understand why she put it in. And I like the story because... Um, you know what you've got there is a a coming of age kind of story, and you know she's she's getting rid of her Barbie, and instead of just putting him putting her at the back of the closet, she is actually sending her on a journey, actually um, making an action about it, and it's interesting. I I, I like it.
6: I thought that was metaphoric that it spoke to her leaving that part of her child, releasing that part of her childhood and sending it forward.
3: Well, uh, I think actually, you know, she needs to have that interaction with Mr. Johnson to to, to develop his character more. You, you know, because after he's drunk, you know, so many how many screwdrivers he has consumed, he's kind of out of it. And you know, and, and I I think it's good that 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 she has him in doing that. But I do agree that, and I didn't. I don't know. I didn't think of this before. that the, the tie may not work, you know, because if it's a casual party with a bunch of kids, they're probably not going to be dressed up. But I, I could be wrong about that. But that's just my two cents worth. Hey, this is Annie. Um, I think it, the tie piece may actually
2: work well because of the 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 um actual um the period of the story. You know, being um, you know, with um goes in line with the story um you know and the astronauts and the whole bit and you know back then men wore ties and shirts to
6: parties yeah back then uh families especially families that were well well off and these it it, the it speaks to the the type of people there and you know it mentions because karen's mom worked with the birthday girl's mom. That's a, oh, well, we have to include her kind of thing. And it it all speaks to the level of people that they were, and maybe she's a step down. And so it, it really
0: speaks to character. This is really exciting, guys. This is what I hope this group would be like. Uh, and I wanted to also mention that Abby found several adverbs that didn't need to be there, and she's absolutely right. And um, I wow, I really appreciate All of these suggestions are great. And you know, what was funny is while I was reading out loud, I found several really awkward parts of my writing that I want to clean up. You, you really, it really makes a difference when you read things
2: out loud. This is Annie. Um, I, I, I really believe that reading stuff out loud really helps, um, not just in poetry, but in any kind of prose. So, yeah, cool.
3: And I agree with both Annie and Debbie. Um, I read my work out loud even when I'm proofreading it. Of course, when my husband was alive, it drove him nuts, but too bad. <laughs> it's really you know the best way because a screen reader, you know, is, it definitely makes a difference between hearing your own voice read something and hearing a screen reader read it. So I definitely agree with that.
0: Of course, not all of us are fortunate to have access to a Braille printer or to be able to print large enough where we can see it. So I am very lucky in my office I have two Braille printers,
6: so I have no excuse. I can't read out loud. I have never been good at it. So when my book was recorded and I was able to hear it, I found so many places that needed tightened up. I'm considering a second edition. Patty, I think that's a great idea. You know, Um,
2: I really loved your book, and that's what got me to DLD. So
6: there you go.
0: Well, I can read out loud fairly well. I'm not perfectly, but I do like doing it. I read out loud to my LD students all the time in my job. That's a big part of my job. And so... um, You know, anybody who wants to have something read out loud, uh, send it to me, and I'll go ahead and put it in Braille and and read it out loud in one of the meetings.
4: Just to weigh in on the matter of reading things out loud um, to hear your own work, I do not think that I have ever submitted a single piece for publication, and I've submitted probably a few thousand of them by now without reading it aloud to myself first um, I always I never have a sense of what it sounds like until I do that and I always find um, errors that I missed reading it just reading it silently in Braille or having the screen reader read it to me and in fact I've told the story many times with regard to technology that Before I got my first computer, I had begun publishing um, in some local magazines, but it took me so long to finish an article because I would type it from my own Braille copy and I would have to wait for someone I trusted enough to proofread it. And the reality was I didn't trust anyone as much as myself to proofread. And when I got my VersaBraille, which was my first Braille electronic device, it was, it was like a miracle because I, I suddenly could complete four articles in the time it had taken to finish one. And it's because of that whole reading your own work and, and reading it aloud has been a big component of that. And if you can't read, then I would say, you know, if you can't read Braille or large print for yourself, I would say that a good alternative would be to have another human being that you trust, who you believe to be a good reader, to read it to you because it's just so easy to hear what you expect to hear and to miss the mistakes when you're listening to um, a synthesizer.
0: Well, I agree. I was just waiting to give people a chance to talk. Uh, I really feel strongly that I want people to not feel left out here. Well, should we move on to talk about next meeting? I have sort of tentatively scheduled the topic to be promoting yourself uh, and because everybody's been discussing it on the list, but I'm open to other ideas. Also, I'm going to start looking for guests so that if we have a guest, any of my tentative things I've scheduled will just be pushed forward to a, a guest-free meeting. But let's, let's chat a little bit about what we want to have at our next few meetings.
6: I'd like to hear from writers and how they publish, um, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. I, I have several reasons for wanting that.
5: I'd like to hear from people, and I'm either I'm sure uh, Deborah would know people or might have ideas or could say something herself. On the nonfiction article world, it seems like a good way to get in. Because I can tell you, writing these long books and then not having them sell after you've put money into them is it's probably to be
2: expected, but it still hurts. This is Annie. I would like to hear more about nonfiction article writing as well, not just um, the mechanics of it, but also um, you know, just, just how to get out there and how to, how to make sales, um, how it impacts somebody who is visually impaired, Um, maybe some of the pitfalls for us specifically, that kind of thing.
0: All right, so it looks like I need to track down a guest who can talk about writing nonfiction and publishing it, and someone who's actually had a little bit of success publishing nonfiction. So that kind of gives me a direction to go in. Um, More thoughts about upcoming meetings.
3: How about somebody who can talk about uh, novel writing and editing? I just finished writing a novel. It's my second novel, and... Uh, I, I did get a book from Bookshare on editing, which I'm going to work through and use that to kind of you know, get some ideas on you know, how to edit. But it wouldn't hurt to you know, have somebody talk about either editing a novel or editing short stories. Uh, you know, somebody who has ideas like that uh, non-active bird checklist that was posted twice uh on the list and you know just stuff like that would be interesting to me
0: well november is our national novel writing month that's the month where you could sign up to write like 60,000 words in one month and i think that would be a great month for us to track down someone so i will look for a guest for november for that and if we don't have one we'll talk among ourselves but we'll certainly do that in november
2: um Deborah, um, or Debbie, sorry. (laughs) It's Deborah and Debbie here. Um, Maybe for the the National Novel Writing Month, maybe uh, for those of us who are writing novels, maybe we could do like trade-off short synopses or something like that? Yeah, that would be great. So here's the plan
0: then. We will everybody who is writing a novel should have a short synopsis ready. I'm happy to read it out loud. And then if we do get a guest who's really dynamic, I may push those short synopses to the next month, but you know, it it's, if you get a guest, you always work around them. If you don't get a guest, that's what we'll do. Sounds great. Well, I do not know how Bob likes to handle this. A lot of his meetings go for only an hour, but I'm prepared to continue to chat for longer. Um, I think I, I want to just keep it open. If people have things to bring up, that's great. I don't want to be controlling the whole meeting. So um, go ahead, and, and if anybody has something else to talk about, please bring it
6: up now.
3: Well, it's not all talk at once. <laughs> I can't really think of anything at the moment.
6: Well, I want to speak to um, David's comment for a minute and talk about the nonfiction and not selling. Um, David, I know that you are doing some things to promote yourself, but um, if I might suggest that you and I talk sometime about uh, the fact that A few of my clients who have really participated in um, the things that I'm doing in marketing are reporting some serious success, and if you and I might talk about your contributing a little more to that and see if we can't get you out there a little more, because I think your book is very, very sellable.
3: Patty, I think Dave may have left. He's not on my list here. I was
0: noticing that, too, but I was thinking that he'd pick it up on the recording or he'd come back into the room, so I thought I was going to give him a couple minutes because I got kicked out, too, probably because of an Internet glitch. So, yeah, I wanted to give him a second to come back if he was going
6: to. It did not dawn on me to look in the list to see who was still here. I'm good at talking to the air.
0: Well, I think he's going to pick it up on the recording anyway, so I don't think you've wasted what you were saying.
3: You know, that's the first sign of old age, though, Patty, talking to somebody who not there.
6: <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I hate when people walk out of the room and I don't know it.
3: Join the club. I don't like that either.
2: Yeah, agreed. Well, I'm going to sign off. My husband came home and uh I want to go say hello. I really enjoyed myself and... Um, I can really see this working out. Thanks, Debbie, for making it happen. Good night, everybody.
3: Good night, Annie and everybody else. I think I'll go ahead and take off myself, and we'll see you all next month, and of course, on the list. Bye-bye.
0: Bye to both of you, though they might be gone by now. Thanks for joining us.
3: I'm probably going to scat,
6: too. It's almost 9 o'clock. It'll be time to take the dog back out in a little while. and um, I slept. This afternoon when I should have been working, so I guess I'll be on the computer later. So um, at least I didn't insert punctuation while I was talking. I have a very bad habit. I've got dictationitis. I'm bad to be talking and all of a sudden put in periods and commas.
0: Yeah, we try to teach our students who are learning Dragon to put the punctuation in. Will you give Campbell a big old hug for me and
6: thump him a couple of times? And I'll talk to you on the list. Okay, thanks for doing the group, and I'll see you soon.